Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens, and my guests today are two of my colleagues here from IER, Dr. David Kreutzer and Paige Lambermann. Uh, they're here to discuss their new paper, The Environmental Quality Index. Paige and Dr. Kreutzer, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, Alex. Yeah, so first I want to just congratulate you. The, this paper's gotten uh, a good amount of traction so far with the uh, media picking it up. So uh, really excited to have you guys on to chat about it. Uh, the main thing that your paper is challenging is sort of the simplistic notion that if we just stop oil and gas production in the U.S., then uh, we'll have a better environment, right? And uh, what you point out is that limiting oil production in the U.S. doesn't necessarily do anything to uh, eliminate the demand for that oil. Uh, instead, it just shifts the production to countries that have, for the most part, significantly lower environmental standards. So to start, uh, can you guys just talk a little bit about uh, the uniqueness of the United States in the fact that it's a high oil producing country and also has high environmental quality and why that's important for uh, our discussions about what we should be doing in terms of uh, domestic oil production. Yeah. Um, so the United States is the number one producer in the world of both oil and natural gas. Um, but it's also one of the few producers at the top that has high environmental quality standards. So it, um, besides the United States, the next two highest producers are Russia and Saudi Arabia. And the environmental standards and the human rights standards are nowhere near as high there as they are here. And so um, a lot of the time when people are advocating for reducing domestic production, they think that they're advocating for reducing demand as well, but the demand is still there and it's going to be met by someone. The choice is whether it's met by our producers at high standards to with little impact to human rights globally, or if it's produced in another country where the standards are lower and the impact on people is higher. Yeah, you know, there's a general pattern that um, countries with ec more economic freedom have you know, higher uh, growth, but they also have higher environmental standards. And, you know, that, that's a fairly consistent finding. And the U.S., um, you know, we've had great economic growth. We're no longer the top in terms of uh, economic freedom, but, you know, we, we, we do well. Uh, ironically, the other countries that have high environmental standards that also produce petroleum, they don't produce anywhere near as much as we do, but we see a movement in those countries as well to restrict production there. So it's not just in the U.S. with, with good environmental standards uh, where you have people trying to cut production, but other developed countries with good standards. So it's it's totally perverse. Yeah, it's a good segue. Uh, your paper touches on a lot of the themes that I've tried to cover in this podcast with my guests, mainly the link between economic freedom and creating wealth and, and its ability to generate wealth, and that leading to uh, a better environment. Um, and that's something you just touched on there, Dr. Kreutzer. Uh, so you're our resident economist, at least for the next 45 minutes, because uh, <laughs> you're, you're in retirement now. But uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about a little bit more about the importance of institutions um, such as economic freedom, private property rights, and the role that they play in better environmental outcomes? Yeah, you know, when you when you have more economic freedom, 
uh, people can reap the rewards of the innovations that they come up with. And so, you know, we've seen that in the U.S. We're, we're not the only country with innovation. We're not the only people that are innovative. But we have a set of institutions that is generally rewards people for coming up with better ideas, better mousetraps, and producing them. Um, we also have almost unique in the world uh, private ownership of subsurface uh, minerals. So uh, a lot of the oil and gas production has been produced on private land. We also have state-owned um, uh, resources uh, so that the, the federal government does control a lot, but in other countries, it's entirely controlled by the state. Um, and that's that's allowed these innovations with a smart drilling, uh, production of, uh, you know, the, 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 the fracking of gas really took off initially in Pennsylvania uh, and in Texas. And now it's moved uh, to, to other areas and also into the petroleum. So we have these new technologies. We have private ownership of the resources that's allowed us to uh, dramatically increase our production of both oil and gas. Yeah, I like the way that you guys put it in the paper. Uh, I'm quoting you here. Uh, you guys say, when people own things, they usually take better care of them. When a person or company owns the mineral rights or has a lease in a particular area, it's in, the, in their best interest to steward that resource. But under repressive regimes, notably ones that have a collectivist bent, the incentive structure inverts. There are quotas to be hit, and anything that doesn't per pertain to, to a particular directive is simply collateral damage. Um, so in the paper, you present sort of two case studies of uh, countries that, uh, although they produce a lot of oil, they have pretty weak environmental records. So um, can you talk a little bit about Russia and Venezuela, uh, why you guys uh, pick those two countries to pull out and uh, just talk about their weak environmental records? We don't necessarily need to go into like the political economy of Venezuela and everything, but just give us a sense of why, uh, why their institutions uh, don't necessarily hold up uh, as well as the U.S. does? Yeah, I think that uh, Venezuela is one of the most interesting examples here because they have the highest proof reserves of oil in the world, and they've actually fallen off the top 20 producers list. And that's because of their absolutely abominable stewardship of the resource. Uh, the industry was entirely run by the government, and it was run poorly. Um, and then the government also caused sanctions to be brought against themselves, making it even harder for them to continue to have a resource. Um, and there was a study done that it would take $250 billion over seven or eight years to fix the Venezuelan oil industry to make it possible for it to produce again. Um, and to have taken, you know, the biggest proved reserves in the world and squandered it so completely. Um, not even to say how bad the environmental situation is around all of it, because it's not being managed, it's not being fixed, it's absolutely, you know, crumbling. Um, and so that, of course, has terrible implications for the environment, but it's just, it's not functional. Um, and I think that was the biggest lesson there. It seems to be a good, uh, good example of what happens when public ownership uh, tries to steward resources. Uh, the Example that I always like to give people is uh, uh, to think about how private property sort of protects environmental outcomes while also making use of resources. Uh, I always point to the fact that you never see litter in people's yards, but you see it on the side of the road, right, where uh, yeah, exactly. uh, where uh, there's sort of public ownership there. So People care about what they own. Yeah. They take pride in what they own. They steward it well. 
um, and they try to, you know, use it to create value for themselves and in doing so create value for other people. Um, and when something's owned collectively, you know, it falls to things like the tragedy of the commons and other other things like that, where it's just not being managed well, or the person in charge of coming up with the kind of philosophy for deciding what happens isn't the most qualified person or the hand of the market, right? Because in free market economies, decisions aren't made by one centralized authority. They're made by a whole network of people purchasing things and making things and those people meeting up kind of naturally. Um, and one central authority deciding how much of something's produced or in what way it's produced is going to miss the mark a lot of the time and there's going to be catastrophic results. Where I, where I left off, you were you were talking about, you know, we we're talking about the property rights give people uh, the incentive to, to reap the, the benefits of, of what they produce. But there's another important thing. Um, they also pay the penalty for the problems they cause. And so, you know, we've had cases where some of the wells that were drilled in Pennsylvania early on uh, weren't sealed properly. Well, then the, those people are responsible for, you know, whatever they may have done to a neighbor's well water. All right. When you have the state in charge of these things, you frequently don't get any resolution. They say tough luck, you know, or, you know, that's the eminent domain or uh, all these sorts of things. Um, and so we the, the, the drillers will be more careful, uh, both because they want to get the full reward of what they're producing, but also because they're liable for the damages they may create. I think one of the one of the good uh parts of the paper is the stark contrast uh, that you guys present between those two sort of case studies and then all the improvements in terms of uh, sort of methane emissions and air quality here in the U.S. Uh, can you guys just talk a little bit about the improvements in the U.S.? I, I had the numbers in front of me before the computer went out. <laughs> okay. I, don't have, I don't have the, actual, the, the, the numbers, but we've seen uh, just an, uh, a huge run-up in the amount of, of natural gas and petroleum produced in the U.S. just this the past 20 years, as a matter of fact, past 15 years, and that's due to the smart drilling revolution, uh, which you know, directional drilling, the great seismic mapping, and of course, the you know, the fracturing of the rock to get more gas and oil out. Um, in spite of this dramatic increase in both oil and gas production, we've actually seen methane releases have gone down. So it's the, you know, if they hadn't changed anything, you would expect a proportional increase in methane, but they've, they've gotten very good at, at, at reducing the, the, the fugitive emissions of methane from both transportation and the production of the, of the oil and gas. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about in regards to all of this is the environmental Kuznets curve. The idea that as societies grow richer, they have more available resources and desire to make their environments cleaner. Because when you're when you're poor or when you're starving and just trying to get by, you don't have the resources to commit to a clean environment. But once you've risen to a certain level economically, then you can start to care about that. And I think that the US um, data, both for methane and especially for PM 2.5 emissions really bears that out. Um, one of our later uh, charts in the paper is a percent change in PM 2.5 levels by country income over the past 30 years. And what you see is that the um, the high income countries have the lowest or the strongest decline in their PM 2.5 emissions. And that's because they have the resources to desire that. Right. 
And, you know, and, and that's a that's a great point that, you know, the richer you get and more energy is going to help you get richer, uh, the bigger the demand is for for environmental improvements. And I want to add, you know, that, you know, some of this response of, you know, uh, better uh, environmental quality in the U.S. is due to the regulations. But what we're what we've seen for the past several years are are regulations that are clearly targeting cutting off or reducing oil and gas production and not reducing pollution okay and and that's that's a that's a totally different thing you know the, the, uh, canceling the kxl pipeline you know that was the cleanest way of getting that oil the safest way um but it also made it more expensive to transport the oil when you cancel that pipeline which is, makes it uh, less likely that they will develop the oil reserves so you know, it's one thing to say, look, we want some some regulations to to reduce actual pollution. It's another thing when we have these regulations which are really targeting uh, the output. They want to reduce output, and they're 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 dressed up as air and water quality regulations. Yeah, another thing that you guys point out in the paper is that uh, by blocking domestic oil and gas production, we're not just shifting. Uh, production to places that necessarily have uh, uh, worse environmental records and worse institutions in that sense, but uh, we're potentially shifting demand, wealth, and power to countries with worse records on human freedom. And you guys provide sort of an index of that. So you talk a little bit about that concern. Yes. I I almost think that's a bigger concern. You know, when uh, we can imagine that places like Nigeria and uh, other producers of petroleum, as they get richer, they will get better at uh, the environmental quality. Um, but when we look at countries like uh, the Soviet Union and Iran uh, getting more wealth when we produce less petroleum and less gas, they, you know, part of it is going to be picked up by them. They're major producers. Um, their their human rights records are terrible. You know, so and it, there, there's there's not the same argument that when you make a despot richer, he gets more benevolent, all right? He, he may get more despotic. He has bigger weapons, more weapons, you know, uh, more ability to to threaten his neighbors. So I think that that's also a concern. Definitely. Um, just for example, um, on the Freedom House rankings for oil production, the United States has a Freedom House ranking of 83. The next highest producer on the list, Saudi Arabia, has a ranking of seven. And the following producer, which is Russia, has a ranking of 19. So it's just a stark difference. Yeah, and in, and you know the the past year has really highlighted that. You know we we see that uh, Russia, um, you know, is is threatening its neighbors, not uh, is bombing them, um, and is, has been able to do that not because they have a great economy. Uh, their their economy is is based a lot on petroleum, um, and to the extent that. Uh, you know, the, the developed and the freer countries, the ones with better human rights records, cut their production. It's just going to shift the wealth to the worst countries. Yeah. So I showed your guys' paper to a friend of mine whose politics I would sort of describe as just left of center generally, and asked him, you know, what what would you what would your critique of this be? And he he came up with uh, sort of an interesting answer. He said. Well, what what your paper is really arguing for are environmental tariffs. Yeah, no, I I would argue against that. One thing um, is that these most of these environmental impacts that are outlined, not entirely because the the uh, 
Yale School does does look at CO2 production, but most of them are local impacts. All right. And to the extent that we want to create some environmental tariffs, uh, that's just going to be a free for all at the trough for the, the, the special interests on K Street to say, here's here's what you really want to look at. Here's what's wrong with this country. Here's what's right with our industry and so on. Um, those things generally do not work out well. You know, you could, those are the arguments people use for tariffs in general. Is there some problem with some foreign country? It's not fair, and we need to impose uh, trade restrictions. Uh, so I, I would worry about that. In fact, it, it was a worry when I was writing this paper that people would take that as as uh, you know what we should do. Okay, um, we we want the we want the 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 poorer countries to develop. But we don't need to subsidize their development by cutting our production, you know, um, and, and, and in the process, you know, adding so much more uh, pollution. Absolutely. Um, so is there anything that we haven't covered here today uh, that's in the paper that you think our listeners should know? Uh, no, I, I, I think, you know, the, the, the basic theme, uh, there, there are a couple of them, the page you hit on, the, the environmental Kuznets curve, and when you more economic freedom, more growth, people get richer. Um, you know, uh, pretty quickly after initial pop-up in, in um, uh, rise in pollution and levels, they drop off because there's a demand for and an ability to afford the technology that that reduces that that pollution. Um, but the, the the main theme is if you look at uh, both the Freedom House Index and the Environmental Performance Index from Yale, um, if you if you weight the oil production by all the countries in the world. You find that the, on average, the U.S. petroleum produce, uh, barrel produced has a much higher environmental standard, much higher human rights standard associated with it than the barrels produced elsewhere. And it's, it's sort of this, this simplistic thought that we can reduce our output and it reduces, as Paige mentioned earlier, that that's somehow associated with a, an equivalent reduction in demand is silly. We, we do not see that. All right. Uh, we see that there's a shifting of production, not necessarily barrel for barrel, but it definitely will be, you know, as, as we cut significantly, there's going to be an increase in production in Russia, an increase in production in Iran and Saudi Arabia and so on, and which would be on net a bad thing. This paper and more work from IR staff can be found at our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. If you're a reporter who'd like to speak to a member of IER's team regarding the paper, please email us at press at IERDC.org. Paige, Dr. Kreutzer, thank you for joining me today. Okay, thank you. Yeah.